What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for tuning in to the podcast. This is episode number four. I'm Jake. I'm Jose, and this is the J&J MMA podcast. All right. Um, we got a pretty good fight card coming up this weekend. UFC 263 headlining, uh, being headlined by Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. Great fight card. This is like probably one of the craziest fight cards of the year so far. Definitely. I'm going to read off some of the fights that are happening. I got the fight card queued up here. This is the main card. Uh, we're just going to riff on this, and then uh, we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, like I said, the main card is Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. Awesome scrap. Um, from what I heard from the press conference, um, Israel wanted Rob Whitaker. He wanted. He didn't want June. I think he wanted September. And Marvin Vittori was the only one that stepped up wanting to fight around this time. So that's the main reason Marvin Vittori is actually getting the title shot right now. It's not necessarily that he's the number one contender, but um, it sounds like he wanted Robert Whitaker. He wasn't available, so it took Marvin Vittori. And it's, it's a pretty fun fight. It's, it's, it's uh, pretty hype right now. Yep. And uh, they had that first fight, I think it was two or three years ago. Uh, it, went, it was just a three-round fight. It went all three rounds. Um, it was a very close fight. You know, one one of the judges actually gave the fight to Marvin Vittori, the other two, Izzy. Uh, but it was a close fight. Um, third round, Marvin Vittori got a takedown. He claims that he won the fight. Izzy, of course, says that he won the fight. So it's very interesting seeing this second fight back around. Yeah, in my opinion, Israel definitely won. Um, it was competitive towards the end, but Israel's style is just, it's so good at just shutting people down from a distance. His striking is so good that, yeah, he had those first two rounds. Marvin stepped it up in the third round. And what is what do you think is going to happen in that fight? you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think, like, for Marvin, I think... He's going to have to get some takedowns, and I think that's going to be his route to the victory. I think if he's unable to take Izzy down and hold him there and do some damage on the ground, I'm going to say Marvin's in for a long night. If Izzy's able to keep it on the feet, he's so technical, he's so good on the feet, he'll pick you apart. And I think if it's if it remains standing, it's going to be a long night for Marvin Vittori. I'm guessing Big Mark is pumped about this. He was talking about uh, Stylebender being one of his favorite fighters on the last podcast. Yep. Shout out to Mark. That was an awesome podcast. We're going to have you back, dude. It was great. Man, thank you, Mark. That was a sick podcast. And um, you brought it up earlier, so I want people to hear that one of your teammates is going to, three of your teammates are fighting this weekend, right? Yep, three of our teammates. So uh, three of our teammates that me and Big Mark train with in Ankeny, uh, we got um, Jermaine, Sheldon, and Johnny. And so Johnny's a professional. And then Jermaine and Sheldon are both amateurs, and this is Sheldon's first fight. So we're gonna go. Me and Big Mark are gonna go out there to Atumwa, is where the fight card is at. We're gonna be in their corner, support support them, and uh, hopefully we got three Ws coming our way this Saturday. That's so awesome, you guys are doing that because we have talked about that on the podcast. The brotherhood that comes from being together in a gym in a gym with all your teammates. So it's really cool that it sounded like this guy didn't have anyone, or was it one of them? He doesn't have anyone coming up this weekend, so you guys are cornering? Yep, exactly. And so uh, this is actually Sheldon's first fight, and he told us that he didn't have anybody in his corner. And, uh, yeah, you definitely, for your first fight, I mean for any fight, you know, you definitely want to have somebody in your corner. But especially for your first fight, you need somebody in your corner just for that mental support and, you know, just to have somebody there. So... 
me and Mark are taking the trip out to Otomoa. That's awesome. And how lucky were you to have Josh the Dentist near in your corner for your first MMA fight? Man, dude, I, like, it was actually so awesome because Josh was there and then uh, uh, Corey Simpson was also there and he's a veteran too. He's been fighting for a long time. So just being in the back, like waiting to walk out and you got Josh near there, you got Corey Simpson, uh, my homie Spencer here from Ames Alliance. You know, so it really does matter. Like, if you have, you know, your teammates there in the crowd, you got your coach there, your family, it really does give you kind of that boost and that extra motivation that you need sometimes to go out there and really put on the performance that you're looking for. Yeah, it's so awesome. That elite, elite edge MMA, that's a solid, solid place. Yep. And, uh, yeah, these boys are ready to throw down. They've been training hard, and uh, I have no doubt that they're, they're ready to, to scrap it out this Saturday. So, Good luck, boys. Good luck. Uh, we'll talk more about the fight card. Uh, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, that's a great fight. The first fight was so competitive, and Davison is such a superstar right now for being a little dude. It's awesome that he's putting the flyweights on on notice or not on notice but he's putting the division out there that he's like making it recognized because before then it took someone like Henry Cejudo to actually like run his mouth to be able to get any attention to the flyweight division and Davison is a finisher he's fun to watch dude he's exciting just his whole entire character like he's got that red stripe on his head uh he's almost like a little Conor McGregor kind of character for the flyweights you know he's he can't speak the best English, but he kind of he likes to do a little shit talking and kind of hype up the fight, and uh, and he backs it up for sure. So he's he's an exciting fighter to watch. Yeah, his uh, bad English is kind of part of his character now because I I see a lot of those MMA world videos, and that's basically the whole meme is just hearing Davison try to speak English. His coach. Uh, Walid Ismail, he's just running his mouth for him. It's it's pretty comical, but besides all that, the dude is a stud. So it doesn't even matter if his if his coach is just or his manager is being all funny and talking for him because he does all the talking in the octagon. So whatever all that other stuff, whatever other stuff happens, yeah, Davison always shows up to fight. He's a really fun fighter. Took out Joseph Benavides twice. All destroyed him. The first time sort of controversial but the second time no controversy at all that was a nasty finish and he hasn't even been in the ufc for that long has he like he's been in there for a while but um only started to get noticed in the last two years probably but he's okay. been around for for almost as long as the flyweight division's been around but yeah only the last few years as he's starting putting his name out there a lot more right <clears throat> yeah and moreno like man shout out to that guy because yeah, originally he got cut from the UFC. Uh, he became the the LFA champion. Is that the organization? That might be it. I think you're right. Um, yeah, he 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 was on like a one or two fight losing streak, maybe three. I guess I could just click on his name here on on the fight card and and see it just to speak about it more properly. But I do remember that he was an up and coming prospect, and then one or two losses, maybe three, and then they cut him. And then he went to the other organization, did great, and I was so surprised and happy to see him back in the UFC, and he's actually looked great lately. Man, all around, he's looking awesome, and then, yeah, I think his, uh, he came back to the UFC, and now, then he was on a three-fight win streak, got the title shot against Figueroa, went the distance, had the draw, like, an incredible fight, if you guys haven't seen that fight. 
Uh, I think the UFC just released it for free on YouTube, uh, Figueredo versus Marino. But that fight is just so crazy to watch. Like the flyweights, just the way they move and the energy they can they can hold throughout the entire fight is crazy. Yep, I've been losing so much weight lately that I'm actually flyweight weight right now. Championship weight. Yep, so I'll be fighting him soon for sure. No, <laughs> no but shout out to Brandon. Uh, he's also from Mexico. That's my original birthplace. So I like him in general, but I got this little extra like for him just because we're from the same place. Uh, I love hearing him speak Spanish. His English is getting better. Huge toy collector. I just watched one of the embedded episodes and went up to Stylebender, was shaking his hand, saying he's a huge fan, and Stylebender was saying he's a huge fan too, and they were talking about each other's toy collection, and it's funny that that dude is an elite fighter in the UFC, but if you watch some of his videos and pictures on Instagram, he's just got a whole wall of toys behind him. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious in a, like, making fun of him way. It's just funny how much of a stud he is, and you think he's a little kid, especially with a nickname, The Assassin Baby. The Assassin Baby. What a fight name. So you gotta make sure you say it right, because if it's Baby Assassin, that can, that can come out really bad. <laughs> The assassin baby. Yeah. But as Figueroa likes to call him, the crybaby. The crybaby. <laughs> and the, the fight card just keeps going. This is ridiculous. Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz, non-title fight. That is the third fight. I mean, that can be its own headlining pay-per-view, and I'll buy it because Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz. I mean, win or lose, that guy is a fighter's fighter, and, yeah, he he's so fun to watch. And Leon Edwards... That is a bad night for anybody. Stud. Yeah. He's on like a nine-fight win streak right now. One loss, Kamaru Usman, the champion. <clears throat> that was his last loss. What was that, like like year seven or eight years ago? Yeah. Ever, that's yeah, the only loss, and he's just been on a tear since. It's just, it's just so fun to watch him progress because he's been getting better and better, just like Kamaru, but he's got this style where... He's just, he can move just nonstop. He's very loose, very, he fights very long, very intelligently. His cardio is unbelievable. It's crazy. So this is a really exciting fight because we all know Nate Diaz. He shows up, he's, he's, a, he's a badass, but Leon Edwards, yeah, you can't just walk through them even if, even if you're Nate Diaz. And if Nate Diaz can't get a hold of him, I don't know, man, that's... I love Nate Diaz, but this is this is a this is a scary matchup. It's a tough fight, you know. I could see, I could easily see Leon winning the fight just because of how sharp he is all around, um, you know. But you never know with somebody like Nate Diaz. You know, one mistake or one, you know, you get caught one time, and then the momentum could change very easily. So. It's going to be an interesting fight, and also this fight—it's not a—it's not a championship fight, but they made it five rounds. Yeah, that's how Nate rules. He can make that happen if he says, "I'm fighting third, I'm fighting, or I'm the 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 third fight of the night, not the headliner." But it's going to be five rounds. Dana White's like, "Yep." Whatever you want, dude. I'll give you ten rounds if you want. So that was Diaz's idea. He wanted the five rounds. I I could be wrong, but I uh, think that is right. I think he. He, for some reason, he wanted five rounds. I think so, and like I said, he does have the power to do something like that if he wants to persuade Dana to make it a five-round fight. I mean, I want to see it go five rounds because, as we saw, as we saw with the Masvidal fight, you kind of need those extra rounds with someone like that. And if if you don't give Nate that opportunity, a lot of times I wouldn't say he starts slow. 
but he's more methodical. He waits for the opening. His jiu-jitsu is always there. I just rewatched the Kurt Pellegrino uh, triangle with the flexing and the double fingers up. That was like so long ago, but that, I mean, you, you could almost see Nate's be, Nate becoming a superstar. In, it's like a star in the making right there, just because who throws a triangle, knows it's locked in so well, starts flexing for the cameras, double fingers, and apparently back in the day, Kurt, back when he beat him, Kurt Pellegrino was a black belt, which is something I do want to talk about. Um, it's something that we talk about while we're working, and we don't mean to be offensive to anyone, but this is something that we've, this has been a topic uh, um, during work and in general, but um, wh what would you call it, pay for the belt, or what would be the proper term for that? Yeah, maybe, um, you know, some pay for the belt or almost like kind of like an attendance belt, like a karate style type, like you just show up and then certain a number of classes or days and then you you get the belt regardless of your skill level or etc yeah uh, I'm, i'll have to re-watch that fight to make sure but if i remember correctly i believe kurt pellegrino was a black belt and nate might have been a purple belt but as we've talked about during work there's a difference between a purple belt that is put in the time and a purple belt that shows up all the time and gets the belt Be because if you get put up against one of those i feel bad for that dude because from what I've seen watching you perform, that's a legit black or purple belt, and you're fine with being a purple belt. You're fine with earning your wings till you, when you get there. Absolutely, and um, especially now in like 2021, you know, it seems like every gym is different. You know, you could have a purple belt from this gym, and he might have been training for three or four years, but then you could have a purple belt from another gym, and he might have been training for eight, nine, ten years. And I think it's just kind of you know, it's different with each coach, each gym. Um, but just because the bell color is there does not mean, you know, doesn't mean that they could be that legit, you know. So I think really what it comes down to is you have to just watch each fighter, each competitor, and really just look at their skill level and kind of just forget about the bell color, especially in 2021. Yeah, you know, and you hear a lot of, like, Brazilian schools or schools in Brazil will you can be a white belt for like four or five, six years, or like you hear about these crazy blue belts that have been training for like seven, eight years, um, but then another gym, you might get a blue belt after like a year or two. So, you know, each belt color could be a tremendous difference. And you were saying that as far as your opponents go, you don't even really care about the belt anymore. You're just, as you said, you'll find out when it's time to actually fight and compete. Yep, because uh, I've come across a lot of belts, you know, brown, black belts where you know, I roll with him and it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a black belt. But then I roll with him and uh, maybe I get a submission or maybe I'm just moving on him and I'm like, like, you know, why am I blue or purple belt and I'm just kind of outworking this guy. So just because somebody holds a belt color, you know, does not mean that you can't give them a run for their money or even maybe be more skilled than them just because you're a lower belt rank. Yeah, and we also talk about like Habib and Islam Mahajev where... They might not even have a belt ranking, but those guys will destroy high-level jiu-jitsu guys. Like watching Islam Mahachev grapple, it's it's so beautiful to watch. What he did to Drew Dober, who's actually fighting on this fight card. Um, I, he's on the undercard? Yes, he's on the prelims. Let me look it up. He's fighting Brad Rydell, uh, Israel Adesanya's teammate, which he's on a, he's on a three-fight win streak right now. He's doing really good. So this is a great fight for him because Drew Dober is a stud. And you lose to Islam Mahachev, 
that's nothing to be ashamed of. That dude is like a young Habib that's up and coming. He's huge for that weight class. He's super strong. When you saw him choke Drew Dober out, he, his back looked like a barrel of snakes, as Brian Callen would say. I don't know what that means, but I think it means super strong. Yep. <laughs> a barrel of snakes. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the cool things about uh, wrestling or just like that, like wrestling in America and also in Russia is like there is no belt system. So these guys are just grinding day in, day out, year after year, and they don't care about, you know, what belt they're wearing or what rank. It's just they just grind and uh, there's really no system for their level and then the only way to see it is to watch them perform or to go against them and then you'll know right away you know what skill level this guy is on yeah and um and if i was gonna i was gonna say if if you are gonna take if you are gonna take lessons jujitsu lessons whatever whatever style you pick up i would recommend jujitsu just just throw that out there and i don't even do jujitsu but if I was going to recommend anything like I did to my daughter Evie, she wanted to do Taekwondo or Karate, which is actually awesome when you get to the highest level because look at Wonder Boy, look at Leona Machida. But not every smaller gym that you go to or martial arts center, I don't know what you want to call those places. I don't want to use the word McDojo, but um, that seems to be one of the favorite words for the, the most the 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 non-authentic uh gyms i guess but yep. we won't call anyone out but that's just a word that gets thrown around in the mma community the mcdojos yep but um yeah it is a pretty touchy subject because jake's actually put in the work i've, I've seen what he can do as a purple belt in other gyms he might already be a brown belt honestly in some whack gym he might actually be a black belt but like legit in that gym, but then you put him up against someone like him who's a purple belt at this time, that that would be a rough night because yeah, it, it's you can't just like you got to come correct in jujitsu. You think you have a purple belt because you paid for it. You fight a real purple belt, you're gonna go night night. Absolutely, and that's the cool thing about it too. You know, is um, you know, and yeah, like I said, I kind of just like to forget about the belts, and um, you know, you can really tell like when somebody's chasing the belt color opposed to just wanting to learn. Like, you'll know it right away, you know, if you see somebody who just got a quick blue belt or a quick purple belt, you know, they're posting pictures and, hey, I'm a purple belt now, but you'll know really quick, like, when you roll with somebody who's, who's really earned that blue or purple belt compared to somebody who, you know, maybe just counted their time card and didn't really put in that much work, you'll know immediately the difference in those two belts. And just to get back to the fight card, we might just keep bringing this up, but um, just to get back to the fight card, speaking of jiu-jitsu, Damian Maya is fighting on this fight card. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, remember the name, Bilal Muhammad. That's a great fight because Bilal, who just fought Leon Edwards before this, who's also fighting on this fight card, that was one of the nastiest eye pokes, eye gouges, I don't know what you want to call that, but that was disgusting. His eye was messed up. He was crying right after the fight. He basically thought that he just lost his eye, lost his vision. It was pretty messed up, and... And the weird thing was, Leon, Leon Edwards wasn't even shook. He's like, whatever. Like, most people would be ashamed, like, oh, I'm sorry, apologizing. He didn't really care because no. up until that, he was basically doing whatever he wanted to that dude. Leon looked super good before that eye poke. And, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, he was on an eight-fight win streak before that. And, you know, with those gloves, I mean, it, it's very accidental. Like, the, especially the way those MMA UFC gloves are shaped. It's like, it's almost like they kind of make your fingers... It's hard to straighten them out. 
And so eye pokes are bound to happen with just like the way those gloves are designed. And I think Leon knew that. And, you know, it was an accident. You know, I don't think anybody should be shaming him for that. Yeah, he definitely didn't mean it. Um, it, it I think it just kind of threw everyone off how he acted afterwards. But if, if you're not a casual, which we ain't no cash. Um, no cash. Don't be a cash. He was winning the fight. You know what Leon Edwards can do. He was definitely winning that fight, and it was probably going to continue. So, I mean, as far as the result, it, it was kind of sad how it ended up, but I, I really think it was it was going to be Leon's night regardless. But he looked on point. Like, he was looking so good. Kicks, head kicks, like, all around. Um, and then Damian Maya, is this? I think this is his last fight on the UFC contract. That's sad because I mean I do want to see him not retire. As like I'm not saying he needs to retire and he's done, but someone like Damian Maya, you just have so much respect for him. He he's such a good classy dude. I've never heard him say anything bad. He's he's like the epitome of of like a, a true martial artist. He's he's very. Very passionate about what he what he does. Got some of the highest level of jujitsu in the UFC of all time. Like he's so fun to watch. The the submission against Rick Story, seeing him squeeze Rick Story so hard that blood just started shooting out of his nose like a faucet. Yeah. I was actually frightened. I had no idea what was going on. I thought he was popping like a brain vein or something. I don't know what that was. I think he was just bloody, and then the more he squeezed him, it just, like, was dripping. But you see someone squeeze someone's face that hard, and then blood just starts dripping out. You just start thinking gnarly stuff. Yep. And hands down, uh, Damian Maya is easily one of the best jiu-jitsu guys to ever compete inside the octagon. Just this guy is an absolute wizard, and uh, just his style in particular, it's like he will... He'll sit down the guard and grab your leg. Like, he'll pull guard in the half guard just so that he can sweep you, come on top, and start to destroy you with a submission. That mounted triangle that he did on Chael Sonnen, that's a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yeah, watch that, please. It's it's a beautiful fight. Yep. And uh, speaking of, like, I was literally just watching a Chael Sonnen video earlier today, and he mentioned this. He said, this is from Chael Sonnen. He said the hardest he had ever been hit was from Damian Maya. And it wasn't on the feet. Uh, apparently, like, Damian Maia was in his guard, and he sat up like he was going to do a Kimura sweep, you know, just like a basic day one move. But instead of the Kimura sweep, he came back and hit him with a backhand. And Chael said it just rocked him so hard, and the next thing he knew, he was in a triangle, and the fight was over. And that's a very creative thing to do um, from a jiu-jitsu standpoint. Yeah. Um, the the next fight or the first fight of the main card is Paul Craig and Jamahal Hill. Um, I don't know if it's Jamal Hill or Jamahal. Um, I'm probably saying it wrong, but we'll just say Paul Craig and Hill. Um, I did see his last fight. That's a light heavyweight fight. I did see his last fight, and he looked great. Paul Craig. I want to say last year he was one of two that got a triangle finish. I think he finished his last fight. He uh, did a triangle on Shogun Hua. Oh wow, that's a that's a good triangle yeah. on Shogun. That's a good feather to have on your cap. That's 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 a good that's good for your resume right there. Putting Shogun in a triangle and finishing him. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was, but if it wasn't, please correct me. I have corrected myself on the podcast. I go back in the comment section. I make sure I I correct my mistakes because when we're going, it's not live, but we're doing this as we go. And sometimes I say the wrong information. So if I say the wrong information, feel free to correct me in the comments section or just 
feel free to say hello in the comment section. It's cool. Whatever. And Hill, he's been looking great, too. And I think that guy's pretty young. I want to say he's like 27, 28 years old. Yeah, he looks really good for light heavyweight, too. It's, he's a good size for that weight division. Yep. It seems like every fight he's improving. And, uh, yeah, he, he. I think that guy's coming up the chain. He's been looking great. And we, we didn't have a podcast this Sunday because I got married this Saturday. So normally we would have the podcast out on Sunday night, pretty much Monday morning when you upload it. But Congrats. Yeah, thank you. It was a it was a beautiful wedding. My wife Marnie, her family, all my family flew down. Jake was one of my groomsmen. Uh, all my groomsmen were awesome. Caleb Avery, my best man. My brother Alexis was there. Will Petra. We we're pretty much the best Smash Bros players of all time. Even when we lose, we're the best ever. So shout out Will, best Smash player in the world. Definitely in the Midwest, but worldwide. We're the best players in his house, guaranteed. <laughs> Absolutely no one beats us. Our only other competition is his lovely wife, Anne. So, yeah, that's all we have for competition at the house. But we do get beat up by a lot of kids, a lot of kids online. We like to pretend that we're going to make kids cry that night, but re really, it's the other way around. Well, we don't cry. We just throw the controller and rage quit, but whatever. You know. If there was a belt system for Smash Bros, they would definitely be black belts. Striped. <laughs> yep. Three stripe block. Three balls. stripes, yeah. <laughs> We're absolutely the best. Um yeah, we'll con yeah, it was it was a great wedding. Um I'm, I'm not going to bring it up too much, but that's the reason that we weren't able to do the podcast and we're doing it now in the middle of the week. But um yeah, we just figured we'll re well we won't recap the fight, but we're going to talk about this fight and then next time we'll talk about the results and everything. But that was the reason that we weren't able to do a podcast this weekend. Um we'll continue with the prelims. So, as I said earlier, Drew Dober and Brad Rydell are fighting. That is the main card, or the main fight on the prelims. Great fight. Um, after that, we got a light heavyweight scrap. Eric Anders, Darren, the dentist, but really there's only one de dentist. We know that. Yep. So, we'll call him the, the dentist assistant. No, he's actually a stud, but... The dental assistant. The dental assistant. There's <laughs> only one dentist, and you know who that is, Josh. Um, and then we have... Two more fights on the prelims. Lauren Murphy, Joanne Calderwood, which is pretty much Ooh. like a title eliminator, I'm pretty sure. That's a good fight right there. It's a good fight, but as we talked about during work, it, it's they're, they're fighting against Valentina, so it's like Amanda at 135. What, what are you expecting? It's decimation either way, I yeah. think. Yeah, she's so awesome. We talk about her all the time, but yeah, winner possibly gets... Knocked out by Valentina, we'll say. <laughs> Man, Amanda and Valentina are just so ahead of every other fighter in their division. Like, it's really incredible. It's like they're the only other person I can really think of on that status is like Khabib or GSP, maybe John Jones, but they're just so far ahead of the other competitors where it's like it, it would be almost like a miracle if one of them were to, to beat one of these girls. There's only one fight left for each of them, and that's Henry Cejudo, really. <laughs> that's all that's left. Who else do they fight? And I'd probably put my money on the girls, to be yeah. honest. Yep, for sure. They got the reach. They got the height. <laughs> but there's one more fight in the prelims. Uh, <clears throat> Mavsar Evliov and Hakim Dawadu. Um, I have seen ha I've seen Hakim. He's actually a really good fighter. I, I, can't, I can't say who he fought last, but I, I, I have watched his fights. He's very entertaining. He's game. I think one fight he was fighting, uh, he was yelling at that dude because the, he wanted to fight and the dude kept running away, which 
it's not necessarily like a coward strategy because if you have good movement and, and you work you move a lot that requires a lot of cardio so I wouldn't consider that running away I have seen running away in an actual fight but what that dude was doing I, I wouldn't call it running away but uh, Hakeem was there to fight and he was making it he was making it known that he wanted to fight he was telling the dude come on quit running but yeah, I, I can't. I don't remember who he fought, but I do remember seeing that about him. That he was pretty upset with the dude. That the dude kept moving and didn't didn't want to stand. I mean, it wasn't like stand and bang with me. It's like we got to fight, man. We're the two in the octagon. We have to fight. And the dude, I, I, maybe he was a little intimidated. Maybe the strategy was a little bit too much moving away. But yeah, that that dude was a little upset that that guy wouldn't just like sit there and actually fight him. But then uh, the early prelims. Um, I'll probably just only bring up a couple fights because uh, a lot of these other ones you might not know as much. There's, I mean, they're all great fights, but we're just going to focus on some of the bigger stuff. Alexis Davis is uh, the main one in the in the fight pass prelims, but um, Matt Frivola, he's a fun fighter. He's fighting Terrence McKinney, and then Chase Hooper, Ben Askren's son. Yes. <laughs> not really, but that's what he claims. Chase Hooper, um, his last loss was Alex Caceres. That was kind of rough to watch but also fun to watch because he had he had quite the chin on him all night he kept eating those those shots and Alex Caceres was kind of just kind of playing a video game with him he was doing whatever he wanted he stayed in the fight the whole time a few times his jiu-jitsu almost pulled it off but Alex Caceres does have good jiu-jitsu and um, his striking is is really fun to watch Bruce Leroy yeah, and Chase Hooper is super young. I think he's 21 or 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, extremely young to already be in the UFC, and uh, he's got a great record so far. This kid is, I mean, he's just got the world ahead of him. I mean, at that age, he's got so much room to grow. Chase Hooper uh, against Steven Peterson. Um, Steven Peterson, he's, he, I think he started off with two losses. Speaking of Alex Caceres, he lost to Alex Caceres, too. But um, his last fight was 2019 in Mexico City against Martin Bravo. And I, maybe you just saw it recently. I love that UFC posts a lot of fights for free on their YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, they just posted, it's like, I think it's a highlight or um, a little, it's like uh, the best spinning back fist knockouts or something because uh, he was getting booed and the they were favoring Martin Bravo because Martin Bravo because Mexican fighting in Mexico City I think that might have been that same fight card that year year fought in and um, one of the most memorable things when he fought in Mexico City was the elevation is pretty gnarly over there and that's what that's what they call sea level cane when he fought in Mex Mexico City yeah he didn't really have the cardio and just couldn't breathe up there but that was uh, the thing I remember about Yair Rodriguez fighting in Mexico City is he, he was really like tired afterward just trying to get a bunch of oxygen and I think he went all three rounds with I forgot who but then he ended up like throwing up in his shirt it was gnarly to watch it was like right after the interview Joe's trying to interview him he's like hold on just threw up in his shirt. I've never seen that before. But I think that was that same fight card. And um, Martin Bravo threw a spinning back fist, and directly afterwards, he pretty much missed. And then Steven Peterson threw his own, knocked him out cold. It is kind of a vicious knockout. That's a nasty spinning back fist. But to th to like land a spinning back fist while someone else is landing one, I think I've seen. Um, was it? It was. Uh, I want to say Tyron Woodley. 
or someone like that against Don Young Kim. They both threw at the same time, and yeah, whoever lands first is probably going to win. Man, and that's just a crazy technique to land in general, you know, just to wind up a spinning back fist and land it clean. That's just a hard technique to pull off. It seems like an easy thing, like you're just doing a windmill spin, but to actually land it, and if you land it, there's a good chance you're going to break your forearm because I think that's what Paige Van Zandt did. She threw a spinning back fist, and it landed with this part, and you that's, that's really hard hitting a head with this. Yep. So I'm pretty sure she fractured it. And that's a lot of power. If you wind up any spinning attack, you know, you can just generate a lot more power because you're spinning into it like a spinning kick. You can, it's a lot of force behind it. So, you know, you whip around with that spinning back fist. And if you land clean, like, you can really do some damage. Yeah, that's a lot of, the only thing worse is probably a spinning back elbow, which you see more in, like, 1FC or something like that. I love 1FC. Like, John Jones used to do that a lot. Yeah, and he has, like, this neat spinning back elbow where he doesn't twist all the way. It's more like a, like a pivot just like like a pivot he pops it and then right back yeah, yeah it's it's cool technique john jones uh we'll just talk about him for just a little bit because he's a really interesting character because uh, what i like to say about john jones is it's like he has the potential to be like basically a superhero in real life the dude is so awesome at fighting and and something that's like debatable is He's, he's been caught with, with some substances in his system, not just the, that pulsing thing that was going on. He actually, I just saw a post recently where they were talking about things that he, there was two different um, substances found in his system, and they were explaining what they do. Very, very suspicious, some of the things uh, that he's been caught with. And in that particular case, um, I think it, it was tainted supplements. That's what they ended up, that's what USADA ended up deciding that, it was tainted supplements, but I don't know. Those are very specific things that to to just be in tainted supplements. That sounds more like a mixed cocktail. Yep. Yeah, and like you said, just this guy's uh, natural ability and uh, just his style and just how good he is inside the cage. It's like, and then he had to take like two or three years off because of the failed drug test and. Um, and I mean, he's even now he's still considered like one of the best of all time. But I could just only imagine like what this guy could have done had he just like stayed out of trouble outside of the octagon and just really just continued fighting and just focused on his career. Like it really could have been incredible. Like the records that this guy could have set. I know I always bring up Habib, but if John Jones had the the mentality that Habib has absolutely possibly the greatest fighter of all time and hands down yeah and the, the reason right now that someone like dana white likes to claim john jones as the goat is because that is an awesome division i mean the only thing tougher than that is heavyweights but i feel like light heavyweight is a great balance of athleticism especially when you're john jones and power that people love to see like mark brought it up people love to see heavyweights just yep. stand and bang but if you get a really good, you get two really good high-level light heavyweights, you're going to see some fun stuff because, yeah, that's a lot of power. There's still a lot of movement. I mean, we can go down the list of all the light heavyweights. Like an example is, uh, the I can't think of his name, uh, Johnny Walker, yeah. he Some of the things that he does post-fight victory celebrations, which he ended up hurting himself. I remember watching that fight live. And he did that weird thing, and then he started doing something with his shoulder. I started thinking, I'm pretty sure this dude just messed himself up doing something unnecessary. And then he was out for a while, 
but that that's like a dumb example of athleticism in that point because he ended up hurting himself but even still that dude is gigantic at light heavyweight the way he moves is awesome um you got alexander reykjik i don't know how to pronounce his name um but he also moves great for a light heavyweight tiago santos going five rounds with two blown out knees against john jones and something interesting about Tiago is after that fight, he, he just was a little tentative because his fight after that, I forgot who he fought, um, but he, a lot of people were talking about that. It was like he was, he was tentative. Maybe it was after the John Jones fight. I mean, I would be pretty scared if I had two blown out knees because with, with some of the stuff I've gone to, I get pretty cautious. So I've never had two knees go out like that. So if I was going to start fighting again, training again, I feel like I would want to be really careful too. So I got I got nothing just bad to say about that if he was just being cautious. Yeah, and it's crazy that he even was able to finish that fight because I think both his ACLs blew out and then he he went like three or four more rounds after that, and that's a serious injury. Like if your ACL goes out, most people can't even walk as soon as it happens. And yeah, so just the fact that he finished that, but yeah, just the two hundred five pound division is. It's one of my favorite divisions, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like the heavyweights, but they're a little bit more athletic, a little bit more agile, a little bit more quick, but they're still big, and it's just an exciting division, and then, you know, with John Jones in particular, it's like, you know, like this guy, his record is like, I think it's 26-1-1, but if you, you know, if you... If you look past his failed drug tests, etc., you know, the one loss was the turnover to D.C., which he actually head-kicked D.C. and knocked him out. And then his one uh, draw, or I think the one no contest was a D.C., and then the one loss Matt was Hamill. actually yep, Matt Hamill, who he was destroying. He was on top, throwing elbows, literally about to finish the fight, and then one elbow came down kind of... 12 to 6 and the referee stepped in and called a disqualification so essentially john jones has stepped into that cage 28 times as a professional and no man has ever been able to to beat this guy so that's just an incredible feat in itself i mean with or without the drug test it would be a, a lot more awesome had he not failed these drug tests but you know with or without 28 times he stepped in there and nobody has ever been able to best this guy yeah, as far as um, abilities and records go, the dude's awesome. But I've fourteen said, title defenses. Yeah, that like even like GSP only has like eight or nine. That's Hall of Fame material already, and he's still going. But it's really interesting the spot that he's in right now with the with the heavyweight division because he wants to get paid. A lot of these fighters want to get paid, and they, and they do deserve to get paid. But something I, I like to bring up is. It's a really, really big organization. It's kind of like our moving company. We're able to offer better rates because it's a smaller company. We don't have to pay a lot of different people that are just working, and they might not be, they, they might just be sitting there and earning money or whatever. We're actually all working, and we get the money. So, I mean, you, you have to, like, actually fight to get money, and a big company like that, I imagine that they pay a lot of people because you're talking like the biggest martial arts or the big the biggest mixed martial arts company in the whole world the ufc is definitely the biggest uh, and it's not even arguably it, it is the biggest of all time for sure they yep like they buy out other divisions because they have yeah and uh, it's, it's better for the division like here you want the platform you got the platform and that's why we have all of these great fighters in the ufc right now we got they bought out the wec i love the wec they bought out strike force yep. uh, 
they they bought out Pride, which was a bogus uh, contract. They basically just bought a library. That's the story behind that. But Pride back in the day was so fun. I I, I know Ryzen is trying to do that again, but Arisen, whatever it is, but it's not quite the same. It's a spectacle, like you saw Gabby Garcia fighting that old lady, and um, well, I think <laughs> poor old lady. I, I want to say that Floyd Mayweather fought that young striker, that uh, kickboxer. Yeah, and that was a weird fight because the, if you rewatch that fight, the dude gets hit with like a right, but he falls left or something really suspicious. It looked like it was just a like an exhibition payday, kind of like uh, this last fight that happened with Logan Paul and Mayweather. We should bring that up because. I think that's a pretty good topic to bring up that a lot of these fighters like Paula Costa are saying, look at how much this guy's making. I deserve to get paid. Dana White shut that down. I don't know if you read his uh, response to what Paula Costa was saying, but yeah. yeah, Dana White was saying like, all right, based on your last performance, you have no room to talk. And if you do have room to talk, maybe start a YouTube channel when you're 13, yep. blow up, be massive, be known worldwide, and then fight some fight the greatest boxer of all time just based on your brand. And the thing is, right now with with boxing, that the spectacle is kind of where the money's at because you got Canelo, you got I don't know if Triple G still fighting, you got uh, Tyson Fury, you got Anthony Joshua, Deont Deontay Wilder. There's a lot of great boxers, but you you more people are talking about Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather, which to me is in a way it's disrespectful to the sport because a lot of boxers love bo a lot of uh, boxing fans love boxing because it's very pure they want to see two high level strikers just stand there and just be just very precise with their striking Floyd Mayweather is so fun to watch for sure the greatest boxer of all time and fighting Floyd Mayweather it or, or fighting Logan Paul I I don't know what that was all about but it seems like it was mostly just for money yeah and, um, yeah, just kind of a joke on the whole sport in general. I've even seen a lot of, like, boxing hardcore fans just talking about how they're kind of ashamed of just the route that boxing is going. I think it's just going on a decline. And meanwhile, we got MMA going on the uprise. And, um, you know, I think MMA is definitely taking over in the next 10 years. I think MMA is going to be kind of like the new, the new boxing around the world. Boxing has been around for so long, so a lot of people still like to watch it, like the older crowd, I think. But MMA is more exciting. It's more realistic. It's more like a real fight. And uh, I think people are starting to realize that. And, um, yeah, just just what boxing is doing is it's almost a joke. You know, yeah, like Logan Paul fighting the best boxer of all time. He was 0-1. He hadn't even won a boxing fight before. It's just kind of silly. Um, and it seems like... The main people tuning into these kind of fights are like the young generation, like teenagers, like very young adults who just kind of followed Logan, the Paul brothers, like through their YouTube career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like definitely like Paulo Costa, like Dana White is not the man to flex on about money because Dana White will shut that down real quick. Unless you're Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal, one of these superstars, like you probably shouldn't even open your mouth about the money to Dana White because he, you know, he's he's straightforward. He'll tell you exactly what he's thinking, and most of the time he'll probably just tell you that you're an idiot. Yeah, Dana White has no problem speaking his mind, and 
And like I said, it's such a huge organization. You got to think, oh, well, these pay-per-views. And also, just a side note, hardly anyone I know is buying pay-per-views anymore. It's pretty pricey. Yep. So I don't know where the money's coming from. And all these people are thinking, I deserve this, I deserve that. Well, the pay-per-view is only selling like 400000 500000 under a million. So you can't really expect to be making $10 million paydays when you're not a superstar, you don't have a brand, you're not winning, and it's, there's a lot of people that have to get paid. It's not, you're the main card, you get all the money. What about all the staff? What about the security? All of the people working for the UFC, not just during that fight, but in general. It is a giant company. They're all over. You got UFC PIs everywhere. Yep. So a lot of the money is coming from all of these things collectively. It's not like um, the fight card is only for the fighters. The fight card is going to be for the whole staff, the UFC PI, whenever people pay for something like that, yep. that's going to be for everybody. So it's one big giant company and everybody has to get paid. So the better the company does, the more the more people get paid. But yeah, you definitely have to be a superstar to be asking for that type of money. Yep. And uh, it would be interesting, um, you know, to see like what, what the UFC is making and you know, because nobody really knows. Only the UFC and Dana White know, like, what they're making and what they can pay their fighters. The only thing that I see that's just kind of strange, like, from my point of view is, like, you know, we see, like, these other sports, like, uh, tennis or, like, basketball, soccer. And, like, you see, like, the average basketball player making, like, tens of millions of dollars, and he's just, like, an average player, let alone then you look at the stars, like LeBron James or... Uh, St Stephen Curry and these guys are making hundreds of million per year and um, like those are big organizations too they got staff and all that so I mean I think the UFC could definitely bump their pay raise up for these guys because I mean at the end of the day this is the craziest sport in the world like I don't think a basketball player should be making more than these guys like stepping in the cage to fight for their life so like if the UFC is making enough money to to be able to pay their fighters more and they're just kind of pocketing it and the upper the people up the chain in the UFC are just making all the money off the fighters I think that's a little messed up uh, I think if they do have the ability I would like to see the UFC step it up and even just the average fighters like make sure that you know they're at least able to go buy a house pay their family pay their bills and at least you know be able to take care of business yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with you that they do deserve to get paid more based on like the circumstances. They're they're not just throwing a ball in a hole in a basket. They're not hitting a ball with a stick. They're they're like, going. It's incredible, like seeing what basketball players make. Like the thing is, like NBA is huge. The NBA is massive. A right. lot a lot of people are paying a lot of money to go to Madison Square Garden to see a game there or wherever. So, and and as I said earlier, most people aren't really paying for pay-per-views. A lot of the comment sections, when you see this pay-per-view is coming up, you see these trolls are on the comment section saying like, "Yep, I can't wait to stream this for free, Dana." They're just like mocking it. And as a non-cash, that actually bothers me because I'll gladly, for for the athletes that I support, I'll gladly pay that money. Um, I, I work for my money, so I have no problem paying other fighters that work for their money. I, I, the only problem is like we don't know how much of the the sixty five seventy dollars we pay is going to go to them. That's the only problem. I wish 
I wish there was like ways that we could actually support the fighters more directly. That but, would be cool. Yeah, because I, I do agree that what these fighters are doing, they do deserve the pay. And boxers are kind of the main topic right now that they're getting the pay. There's no money in MMA, but the thing is, like, there's money in spectacle fights because how the these other boxers that are well known real boxers aren't making that type of money. And Logan Paul. He, if you want to talk about brands, then yes, he deserves $20 million to fight Floyd Mayweather. But if you're talking about like purist boxing fans, they're not going to say, like, well, he doesn't deserve any money because he doesn't deserve to fight Floyd Mayweather because he's a YouTuber on a loss as far as boxing goes, and he's fighting the greatest boxer of all time. But I do believe that this is going to be a trend. I think I, I see a lot of people joking about it. I know Amanda posted something about, let's go Kim Kardashian. Imagine how much money we'd make, how many pay-per-views. I'd buy it. Oh, yeah. I'd buy it. I'd, I'd watch her destroy Kim Kardashian. I have no problem with Kim Kardashian, but I, w I would love to see Amanda basically destroy someone in there, anyone. Yep. And it's almost like this is opening, like, a whole entire new world of combat sports. Like, who knows what we might see next. Like, it's almost like they're starting, like, a whole new division of, like, fake fighters or, like, celebrities. Yeah. You know, like uh, like Nate Robinson when he fought Jake Paul, like, like whoa, what was that guy even doing in the ring? Like that guy, that guy's an NBA player. He had never, I don't even know how many. He probably only sparred like five times in his whole life, and he stepped in in front of the world and boxed somebody. Like, yeah, MTV already did this in the '90s. It's called Celebrity Deathmatch. It's not, it's not real. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's funny. Like a like a lot of the casuals, they're into it totally into it that's what i'm saying i do believe it's going to grow because you got all these celebrity and and it was already big before this like the the pay-per-views that logan paul and i forgot who he or no he fought ksi right twice yep there was was it a draw the first time and then he lost the second time i think so yep. yeah so i mean i didn't watch that i i don't have time for that there's so much le legit talent in the in the ufc and one fc even bellator even though i don't watch it as much but overall in mma there's so much talent that i i have no time for any of those bogus fights and it's funny dana white acts like we we don't do that we're not but what about cm punk we're not going to forget cm punk yeah but i mean you know, I think CM Punk, he was a fine example of what happens if you step in MMA and you don't know how to fight. Because CM Punk got punked real quick. Like, yeah. he did not last long. He got finished, like, you think he had two fights and he got finished in the first round, both fights. So MMA is different than boxing. Like, you might be able to be a nobody or celebrity and come into the boxing world and, and do something. But notice that you don't see any of these boxers calling out MMA fighters inside the cage. They all want these MMA fighters to come into the boxing world, put these pillows on their hand, and do one simple, small aspect of fighting. Because they know that when you step into the cage, boxing is one small, simple aspect of a real fight. And if you step into the octagon with forearms, gloves, and you got kicks, you got knees, you got elbows, you got takedowns, you got submissions, it's an entire different world. In my opinion, MMA is the purest form of like combat, of like competition. You're using everything that your body can do against an opponent that's trying to do the same thing. They have jiu-jitsu, they have wrestling, they might have judo, they have striking. They put it all together, and that to me is like the perfect package because it's one-on-one. -on -one. There's no teams, there's no balls, there's no sticks. It's like hands, feet, submissions, whatever you got, 
winner wins. It's not like, all right, well, you're pointing, you're scoring points, you're moving. I mean, there's a lot more to it, obviously. There's, it's like, there's, there's tons of details that go into it, but... Yeah, for sure. At the highest level, and uh, that's why it's, in my opinion, the coolest sport in the world. And, um, you know, the, like the UFC or like the one championships, the highest level uh, fighters in the UFC, that's the highest level of hand-to-hand -hand combat that anybody can achieve. I'm talking even like, you know, military guys. I think a lot of people have this vision that like, you know, like a Marine or like an Army Ranger, like they're trained differently to kill but I can tell you right now, I've seen many Marines and Army Rangers come into like the MMA or Jiu Jitsu gym and they get beat up bad because, you know, when you're like in the Army, you're training so many other things. You got guns, you got knives. Like they don't have the time to focus on just like hand to hand combat hours and hours, day after day. So, yes, they know how to fight and they know how to how to use hand-to-hand -hand combat, but um, there's no comparison to like a high-level UFC fighter hands down there, the highest level of hand-to-hand -hand combat on the earth. Yeah, and you can speak about this better because you actually do jujitsu. but something uh, that would be great is like police officers and military people, I, I think it would benefit them to do jujitsu and get humbled and learn, get disciplined. Um, some people don't know how to control their emotions, their anger, their behavior, and I feel like the right gym, like Vlad's gym, he, he's such a good role model that I believe someone like him could actually help people like that. And they would. Th those are the type of people I want protecting us. Those are the type of people that I would love to see. I mean, if if we're going to go to war, I want people like that, disciplined, controlled, just the manners that a lot of jiu-jitsu guys have. Like we talked about it on the podcast with Mark that M Mark is more like a striker-based guy. He's a wrestler also, but when you watch his fights, that's a striker for sure. And you watch your fights, you're definitely a jiu-jitsu guy. And we talked about on the podcast that that he was like tripping out that you were so respectful with your opponent we said well is it a jujitsu thing and you were saying yeah i do believe it kind of like helps you be at least not necessarily uh, a, i'm not going to say better person we're all working on that but it definitely controls you a little more you're not you don't get too hot-headed and that's just kind of the style of jujitsu you're not going out there like a psycho just just throwing things it's very calculated it's like chess but i think it would benefit a lot of services if they did jujitsu and like I said you can speak more about this yeah that's a great point and uh, yeah like you said like overall I think most jujitsu guys are just they have that respectful nature just because of you know the way that we come up and we train um, but absolutely you know I think you know a smart military person or a smart police officer they're gonna go out of their way to come into their local gym and they're gonna be learning you know jujitsu or kickboxing in their free time because you know we've got a, a guy named Chris down in Ankeny and he's an MMA fighter and you know he's like a 12 13 year army guy I think he's a ranger and um, you know he even said himself like the you know the army guys they know a little bit but they don't know much you know like if they were to come into the MMA gym they're gonna get beat up bad and it's because they don't really put that many hours into it and so Chris is smart because he goes out of his way. You know, he does his army training, but then on a weekly, daily basis, he's coming in and he's also training jujitsu, kickboxing, etc. And just imagine like putting that into his career. He's levels above the other the other army soldiers. 
So it's really cool to see a, you know, an army guy do that and go out of his way to really put himself, you know, ahead of the pack. And same with police officers. And, you know, this is a, a crazy subject because in my opinion, I think like if you want to be a police officer, you know, it's almost like you're, you're kind of like looked at as like the hero of our community. Like we're expecting these guys to, you know, like protect, you know, the women, the kids in our community. Like you're really up on this status. And, you know, I think it should almost be mandatory that as a police officer, you should have to learn and train some form of combat and you should have to consistently be training it throughout your career. And I, I would strongly say that jujitsu is probably the best bet because it's more of, of like disarming. And I don't mean disarming someone with a gun. I mean basically preventing whatever attack they're throwing at you. You basically just nullify, you shut it down. It's a pretty touchy subject, but um, like imagine George Floyd and some of those police brutality murders. If, if it was a jujitsu guy instead of just some hothead that wants to just w do some damage or hurt someone, maybe the right jujitsu guy, I'm not saying that it was necessary. I would never say, I'm not, I'm not going to get in detail about that, but maybe situations would be better if the guy knew what he was doing instead of killing someone, he just put him to sleep. Maybe, I'm not like I said. I'm not going to talk about the details about that situation, but we'll just say in general, instead of um, putting your neck on someone for so long, maybe you know enough technique that you can just gently put the person to sleep and then control the situation instead of escalate. And I think a huge thing about that is jujitsu basically makes you not use jujitsu unless you really have to. You don't go out there just to choke people out. You you defend yourself. You defend other people. And I would feel so great if most of the police officers did jujitsu and and it's weird coming from me because I don't do jujitsu I love jujitsu I'm a huge fan I've been such a huge fan of jujitsu for so long and it's not just the 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 movement the submissions everything it's really the way of life and once again you can speak on it more I'm just a huge fan and I see all the respect and all the discipline all the control but you I'd rather hear it from you straight from the source than just a huge fan Absolutely. Um, yeah, and like you said, you know, I think we would all feel a little bit more safe if we knew that our local police department, if we knew that they were all trained, you know, if they knew some jujitsu and, you know, like maybe, you know, at, there are going to be times where you may need to use your gun, but I would like to see it maybe as like a last resort. You know, we see these police officers like pulling their guns so fast, almost like it's almost like they're like wielding this power and it's all, you know, you see them abusing it so often. And, you know, it, it would just be amazing to see the police officers actually, you know, learning and training. And like you said, not only are you, like, learning, you know, how to control the situation, like, you know, take somebody to the ground, you know, you could put them to sleep if you need, just really control the situation. But like you said, like, you're learning respect. Um, the whole way of life, I think, is just... It, that's perfect for a police officer like I think they should you know it should be mandatory if I was the police chief that would be something that I would be telling all of my guys like look guys you guys should be in the jiu-jitsu gym learning and um, I think it would be great and actually like here in Ames we have uh, in the last like maybe two or three years we've actually had a couple police officers coming in and training with us and it's just like fantastic to see because um, you know, it's just so cool to see, like, most police officers don't train, and then we see the few that are coming in and learning and training, 
and it's so awesome and it really makes me look at these police officers like up on like such a higher pedestal than the other ones and it's like these are the guys that I would want to show up to my house like if something went down or you know if, the, if there was a bad situation at a bar or you know in a store I would want these guys to come to the scene and 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 control it you know and um I think it's just great. I think they're setting a great example, and hopefully it will catch on, and we'll see more and more police officers coming into the martial arts world. Yeah, it's a touchy subject because it feels like you're either with them or against them, but it has to be case by case. It can't be like all cops are bad or all cops are good. It's definitely case by case. Yeah, it, it's a super touchy subject, but as I was saying, it has to be case by case, and I feel like the cases would be more controlled had some of these police officers had that type of training because the biggest thing I've, I've mentioned about jujitsu is disarming, um, and as I mentioned, it's not necessarily disarming arming a knife a weapon or weapon is just disabling your opponent's attack that's all it is so I, I, I would really really have more respect for a lot I mean just because of the time that it takes to put in like you've put in so much time to become a purple belt and I've seen in the time that I've known you I've seen you just mentally progress better and better a really good representative of the sport and I feel like if our police officers were as dedicated to, to jujitsu, and I just keep talking about jujitsu because I know more about the way of life with jujitsu. It'd be really weird to see. I mean, it'd be kind of silly seeing a cop throw karate kicks, just weird stuff like that. But it would look legit and authentic, and like it, it would feel very appropriate if all of a sudden someone's freaking out. The cop just starts bringing him down slowly, puts him to sleep. Situation's taken care of. Everybody's calm. Nothing to freak out. He did not have to resort to a weapon, a taser. He didn't have to use his baton. Didn't actually have to get abusive because if you understand jujitsu, it's just it's not really about hurting your opponent. It's about making them render to you to your abilities. I guess make them make them tap out. Yep. Yeah, and like you said, I do believe that jujitsu for a police officer is hands down the best martial art. I also believe it's the best martial art for self-defense because, you know, most scenarios, especially as a police officer, it's going to be a close interaction. And, um, of course, you know, you could punch or kick your opponent, but then, you know, you could do extreme damage. It could get out of hand. With jujitsu, you know, as soon as you grab your opponent, you can put them to the ground you can come on top, you can control them, and essentially then the fight is over. So if you're a trained police officer in jiu-jitsu, you can very easily take somebody down to the ground. If you need to, you could, you know, put them in a chokehold or etc., put them to sleep, and then easily handcuff them. And um, it, it would just be a great, great thing for these police officers to know. Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, for self-defense as well, like for a female, you know, um, like being a girl, I think jujitsu is like one of the best things that a female could learn. You know, we hear all these different stories about, you know, bad scenarios, girls on campus, etc. And, um, you know, it, if you're a girl and you're trained in jujitsu and some guy tries to sneak up behind you or grab you, you know, they're in for a treat if you're a trained jujitsu gal. And, um, you know, I'll always remember this story. Uh, I was at the gym one time, uh, just like lifting weights. I used to lift a lot of weights back in the day. And this was maybe like a year or two into my jujitsu journey. And there was a police officer there and I had, you know, seen him around. He's, he's always weightlifting. He's a big guy, like six, three, six, four, you know, like a big muscular guy. And I remember he said something to me about jujitsu 
And then we started talking about it, and I was like, yeah, man, like, you should totally come down to Vlad's and, and join the class. And I remember specific, I'll always remember this, but he said, he, like, saw a picture of, like, somebody getting Komorad, which is, like, kind of like a shoulder lock. And essentially, he said that he didn't want to come in there because he didn't want somebody to turn his arm that way, or, like, he was nervous or scared to learn. And I just remember thinking, you know, like, if you're too nervous or scared to, to come into a jiu-jitsu gym and learn this art and learn how to defend yourself or, you know, de-escalate a situation, then, um, like, why are you even a police officer in the first place? Because if you can't even come into a jiu-jitsu gym and learn something like that, then, like, what? how are you going to react in in a crazy moment? Like, if somebody pulls a gun out or... You know, it, it was just a crazy thing to hear from a police officer, and I think that may be how a lot of the current ones are thinking, and um, I would love to see that mentality change. Yeah, that's a great point because that's that can easily trigger someone. If, if he's worried about someone putting him in a Kimura, what would happen if, like, someone yelled at him and then he wants to use his, his position of power to basically check this dude or whatever, which does happen, and... I, and if he has, you know, no training, his only option to turn to is his gun. Yeah, and that does happen pretty quickly. There's a lot of videos where instantly they pull out the piece, and that that is not right. That should absolutely be the last resort. And as I said earlier, I would feel so much better if the cop all of a sudden just grabs the hand, puts the guy in a chokehold, puts him down. Yeah, that, that, that to me is like the most peaceful police officer if he can just it's weird saying it but just put you to sleep instead of knock you out instead of tase you instead of kill you or whatever yep and that's the cool thing about jujitsu is you don't have to hurt your opponent you know you can you can take them to the ground you can come on top to a dominant position you can hold them there and then you can just hold them there or you know you could you know very easily put them to sleep with a choke and then they wake up like what happened but that's the cool thing about jujitsu is you don't even have to really do damage to somebody like of course like a submission like a high level jujitsu artist has the ability to kill another human being very easily like if you throw up a triangle choke or you have somebody in a rear naked and you don't let go you, you could kill that person i think that's also a little bit of confusion where you know somebody thinks that you know, like a submission is just a submission or, you know, like these army guys are training to kill where like the sport of jujitsu is, is not like that. But make no mistake about it, like a submission, a high level trained jujitsu guy has the ability to easily kill another human being. But that's the cool thing about it is they're so respectful and they know that they have that ability. And they would never do that unless it was an insane circumstance. And, um, of course, most of the time they wouldn't. They would just take the person down, maybe put them to sleep, control the situation, and that's as far as it would go. Yep, bringing it back around to Damian Maya with jiu-jitsu. Um, as I said earlier, one of the highest levels of jiu-jitsu ever in the UFC, but also one of the highest levels of respect in the UFC. Something that he was saying was, he loves using his jiu-jitsu to beat his opponents because they get to go home that night without any any injuries. He gets to go home without any injuries. That's the best example right there. He's not out there to like put you in the hospital, take you away from your family, kill you. He's out there basically to put the least amount of damage on you, at least amount of damage on him. He's trying to win either way, so it's not like he's he's just like he's not fighting he's he's there to win and most of the time he gets those submissions but 
obviously that is his game, his jujitsu. But it's it's so beautiful to hear someone like that say, "I just don't want to injure my opponent. I want him to go to his family, and I want to go home to my family." And if you don't know Damian Maya, look him up because he's actually one of the best examples of jujitsu of all time. Just a great person in general, and besides being a great person, oh my goodness, that jujitsu is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, one of the best I ever watched. And yeah, like you said, like Damian Maya has been fighting the best fighters in the world for a long time. And yeah, he, he says that. Like he doesn't even want to, to hurt his opponent. And it's crazy because, of course, you know, like most UFC fighters or most MMA fighters, you're looking to do damage. You're looking to hurt your opponent. And Damian Maya is at the highest level fighting the highest level killers. And he's saying he doesn't even want to hurt them. He just wants to submit them and let them go about the rest of their life, which is insane. Um, but yeah, he's just, you know, very respectful, very great representation of jiu-jitsu, and just a wizard. Like, just watching the way that this guy can completely dominate a high-level killer with his jiu-jitsu is just incredible to watch. And, and you said at Alliance you, you do train with a few police officers? Yep, we have... Um, you know, like Corey Morrissey, he trained with us for a long time, a couple years. He moved away now. He's like an hour or two away. So I don't know if Corey found a new local gym out there. But it was cool to see Corey there because Corey's huge. He used to play ISU football. He's a big guy, and he's muscular. You know, like just looking at him, people get intimidated already. So somebody like that, you know, it's like, he might not even think that he needs to train, but he went out of his way to come in and train with us and learn jiu-jitsu regardless of his size, regardless that he used to be a football player. And that was amazing. Like, he really set uh, a good example, I think. And I think Corey coming in there first, this might be now why we have a few other of the police officers coming in because Corey is just somebody that I think everybody looks up to because of just his personality um, the way that he just kind of holds himself. And now we have th two, three, four other police officers from Ames training with us. And, um, and they're getting really good, and it's amazing to see. How long did you train with him for? Corey, probably about two years. In those two years, did you see like uh, a mental progression, like a, a discipline progression, manners, and more respect for people? Absolutely. And, um, yeah, just, yeah, just like the mental growth, you know, and, uh, you know, because I think like when everybody first starts training, everybody kind of has a little bit of an ego, you know, and especially Corey. I mean, he's 250 pounds, solid muscle, ripped abs, you know, so when he first came in, you know, he might, he was, you could tell he was kind of like thinking he was going to kind of smash through everybody. But then, you know, anybody will soon find out that if you come to a, a real jiu-jitsu gym and you start training, there's going to be little guys who've been doing it for years with good technique that are probably going to tap you out. And instead of, like, getting tapped out and, and giving up and going home and saying, you know, screw that place, I don't want to go back, Corey continued to come back. He said, I want to learn this. This is awesome. You know, I'm a police officer. This is what I should be doing, this is going to help my career, and he continued to train. Awesome. Shout out to that dude, because that sounds like a good representative for that type of position, for sure. Yep, and uh, yeah, and now we got two or three other ones, and uh, yeah, and hopefully it just, it just continues to roll. Excellent. Well, um, you got anything else that you want to add about the fight card that's coming up? Anything you want to bring up? Well, one thing I do want to bring up, 
Josh Neer, your coach, has fought both the Diaz brothers, and that to me, that to me, I have so much respect for that. I mean, obviously they didn't have the name that they have now, but but he was still fighting them. Not as, I, I would still, I mean, I consider most of their career their prime. I don't think, like, they're in their prime now. They were in their prime before. I consider the Diaz brothers basically always in their prime. The dudes never stop. I love their jiu-jitsu. I love their attitude. They're a fighter's fighter. And Josh Neer fought both of them, and he, he went the distance with both of them, right? Yep, and... Um yeah, I mean, you know, and that was when they were on the come up. That's when they were all young and hungry. And uh, yeah, if you just look up Josh's resume, I mean, it speaks for itself. He he's just, he's fought everybody, and he's been he's been there and back countless times. And you know, he, Josh is a true fighter's fighter, and, and uh, it's an honor to learn from him and, and train under him. And you know, it's it's just so motivating for all of us to be able to train at the gym and learn from him. And, uh, you know, it's all, almost like you can just feel the aura when you're around him because you know what he's done, who he's fought, what he's been through. And uh, it's really, really cool just to see somebody, like, on that status. Did you say that he still communicates with one of the Diaz brothers or both of them or anything like that? All the time. That's like, so uh, cool. Yeah, Josh makes a trip out to Stockton, like, two or three times a year. He'll spend a week or two, train with the Diaz brothers, and um, it, it's awesome. Like, they keep in contact all the time. They'll send Josh, like, represent uh, gear through the mail. And um, I think they're, they're, they're very similar. Like, the Diaz brothers and Josh, they have that same mindset where, you know, they, they came up um, from, like, a poor, like, almost, like, rough, like, like childhood. And it kind of just sculpted, like, the, the real true uh, mentality and heart of, like, a real fighter. You know, until the day they die, these guys are going to be fighters through and through. It's not just like, you know, they're fighting for a few years because it's a fun sport. It's like these guys are legitimate fighters from, you know, an early age until they die. And that's just the way that they are. Yeah, they live it. It's a way of life. It's not, they might not even consider MMA like a competitive sport. They're just going out there doing their thing. They they might not see it the same way we see it. They're, they're just going out there and doing what they do all the time, every day. They would be doing it in the streets if they had to. They'd be doing it on a smaller card. they do it in the gym. That's, that's why I thought it was really cool that, that Josh still communicates with them because they are very similar. I mean, if you love the Diaz brothers, check out Josh Neer because that dude was, I mean, I don't want to say was because I have a feeling that he still is a fighter's fighter, but we just don't see him as much in the UFC anymore because he's training the next up-and-coming fighters. So it, it's it, to me, as a, as a non-cash, as a huge MMA fan, it's so cool that you get to train uh, under Josh Neer because when you told me that, I was just like so blown away because I've been following the sport for so long and I, I started tripping out. And he might not even see it that way. He's just like this this dude out of Des Moines, just chill, he's cool, good dude, coach, whatever. But yeah, that that's that's something that MMA does to you. You're just pretty chill and humble. It just kind of humbles you. If and, and the way he does it, it's like a blend of savage but humble at the same time, which is really fun. Yep. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, I have no doubt, like, if somebody called Josh tomorrow and said, hey, do you want to fight on this UFC card, he would do it. He would be there that week, that night. I guarantee that he would be there. He's already, he's currently signed to the Bare Knuckle Boxing Association, like, right now. I mean, he's already had over 100 fights, and he still is, is willing to fight. And um, it's just, like... 
he's truly like one of a kind like i've there's very few people i think that are just are on that status and that level of like the diaz brothers and josh that have that mentality it's a very very rare type of person to see yeah it's so cool but we'll wrap it up um all respect to everything that we talked about it, we're, it's just a podcast we're just being vocal we're not necessarily voicing strong opinions we just want to speak about some of these subjects like people just paying for these belts because people like jake are actually going out there earning the belt the their purple belt and other people as you guys said you and mark said that they leave as soon as they get the blue belt it's like they got a belt let's let's dip out we're good we, we're a jujitsu blue belt we're actually we got a belt in jujitsu we're legit but yeah the police officer thing as i said case by case we don't we don't believe all cops are disrespectful or crazy and i would love to have one of those police officers you train with on the podcast because it would be great to hear the opinion straight from the source because you can you can speak the side of jujitsu the police officer can speak that point and as a minority i feel like i can add some input here and there and just some of the things i've gone through but i feel like that would be pretty cool having one of them on the podcast Absolutely. And yeah, hopefully in the future we'll be able to get Andre or Corey or, or one of the local Ames police officers on here and kind of tell their story through their eyes and what it's like to even just be a police officer. Because I think a lot of us, you know, everybody talks about the police, but nobody really knows what it's like to actually be in that position except for them. So it would be cool to have them explain it a little bit, especially one who's been training jujitsu and just see it through their eyes. Um, and then, yeah, you know, just like Jose said about the belt thing, uh, a message that I would have for anybody who's out there training, you know, I would just say, you know, really focus on just your journey and your skill level and just, just getting better as a person and improving your skill set, you know, because at the end of the day, your belt is just a colored belt. You know, just because you have that blue belt on your waist doesn't mean you're a blue belt. Just because you're wearing that black belt or that purple belt, you know, you know deep inside, you know, the progressions you've made and the skill level you're at and it goes fast you know like enjoy those white belt days enjoy those blue belt days because once they're gone you can't get it back and you know me being a purple belt now like the come up has been great i love the journey i love how long it's taken me to get there and i wouldn't trade it for anything so enjoy the journey don't go too fast um don't don't go too quickly and uh just enjoy the process yeah very well said just focus on yourself focus on bettering yourself growing just getting better yeah very well said and coming straight from the source you should really yeah you should really listen to jay because he's been putting in the time he knows what it takes he's seen a lot of bogus stuff he's seen a lot of real stuff and yeah, I think his uh, his opinion is very valid in this. Mine might not be as valid because I'm just a fan, but uh, a legit fan, not a cash. But uh, yeah, with that, um, pretty much, you know, keep listening. Don't be a cash. We'll catch you on the next one. Yep. Uh, if you guys have any any comments that you wanted to go over about this episode in particular, anything about the police, the belts, anything, uh, please feel free to drop a comment below. We'd love to hear your guys' opinion, what, what you guys think about it. Um, stay tuned for the next episode, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Don't be a cash. Don't be a cash. Peace out.